Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Our reading today comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke. The 19th century French rationalist Renan called the Gospel according to Luke the most beautiful book in the world. One way to appreciate the impact that this little book has had on religion and culture is to try to envision what Christianity would be without it. Can we imagine Christmas without shepherds or a baby in the manger? A church year without the Ascension or Pentecost? How many favorite Bible stories would we lose? Zacchaeus in a tree, the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, and the story we have this morning of Mary and Martha. Today in chapter 10, we find ourselves about halfway through Luke's narrative. As chapter 10 opens, Jesus sends out 70 individuals in pairs ahead of him to serve, love, and heal others. The trip is a wild success. And after some rejoicing, Jesus responds to the questions of a young lawyer in the crowd with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Continuing on their way, Jesus and his disciples enter a little village and stop at the home of two sisters to rest and relax. Let us turn now and see how this little rest stop goes. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. sing together. Our faith isn't just for us, just dogma collecting dust. It's true what we do with the news Jesus brought must inspire our neighbor's trust swimming against the tide practicing grace and truth swimming against the tide we will follow you 
swimming against the tide, practicing grace and truth, swimming against the tide, we will follow you. Some of you will remember the great little film and film and I think 1991, called City Slickers. It's a movie that captured the longing spirit of an entire generation back in the 80s and 90s. The movie's about this unhappy Manhattan yuppie who's about to turn 40 years old and is having sort of a midlife crisis. And in the process, he is invited to join two of his friends on a vacation to... uh, be a part of a cattle drive in the Southwest. And so the trio together, they pay big money to uh, play the role of cowboys and to help drive cattle from New Mexico all the way here to Colorado. All, of course, while trying to navigate their own midlife personal crises. And along the way, they meet up with this ill-tempered trail boss by the name of Curly. Curly is that stereotypical tough and crusty cowboy who teaches this trio not only how to be cowboys, but how to be human. And in one memorable scene, Curly is riding alongside Mitch, one of the city slickers. And uh, Mitch turns and looks at Curly and asks him if his life makes sense. And Curly replies, You city folk, you worry a lot. You all come up here about the same age. You spend 50 weeks getting knots in your rope, and you think two weeks up here will untie them for you, and none of them, none of you get it. And then he pauses and says, you know what the secret of life is? One thing, he says. He holds up one finger and says, just one thing, and you stick to that, and everything else don't mean nothing. And Mitch, of course, says, well, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. What's the one thing? Isn't that what we all want to figure out? What's the secret of life? What's the meaning of life? And who among us can't identify with Mitch in that scene, the plight of Mitch who is in the midst of life and drudgery and routines trying to make something meaningful out of all of it. I think we can all relate because each of us tends to leave little margin in our lives for meaning making. We rush from activity to activity, from moment to moment. We are often caught between distraction and daydream. And from dusk until dawn, every second of our downtime is is filled. It's filled with diversions and distractions and drudgeries. Sometimes we fall into bed at night and we wonder, what in the world did I just accomplish today? I think City Slickers was a prophetic film, at least in one way, because it, it captured the whole spirit of the 80s and 90s, a time when the many diverse forces of culture and society began to speed up the pace of life. If you lived through the 80s and 90s, 
You recall this. First, it was fax machines, then it was pagers, then it was cell phones and computers, then email. Uh, We became suddenly available in ways that we never had been available to others before. And on top of that, in the 80s and 90s, traditional gender roles began to change. Responsibilities there changed. The whole home began to change. And the cultural spirit of the day was, was celebrating the individualism of our lives. This idea of having it all and doing it all, that became the new aspiration for Americans. And at that time, the futurist Faith Popcorn, whom we've been talking about over the course of this series, she noted at the time that Americans were, were beginning to feel overloaded, overstimulated, overwhelmed, and overstressed. She noted that 80% of Americans reported at the time that they wanted to simplify their lives, that the pace of their life was too fast, that their uh, time was too stretched, that their roles were too abundant. And so she named this societal schizophrenia, if you will, uh, a, a part of a trend that she came to call 99 lives. Well, Popcorn predicted that Americans would be focused on trying to regain time and that they would be willing even to spend good money if it meant that they could buy back some time in their lives. 99 Lives, this trend is about searching for mechanisms, daily mechanisms by which we could simplify our lives, gain more time, and find more margin. It allows us to do more with less time. Today we call that streamlining, multitasking, life hacking. It's a way to find efficiencies in our busy lives. And we know like the 99 trends, uh, 99 lives trend gave birth to some amazing innovations. Maybe you remember these, microwavable foods, for example, Um, like uh, hot pockets, Uh, le menu, remember those? Uh, Lego, my ego. These are all products of the early 80s. Food on the go, like Go-Gurt. Because apparently there are some parents who just don't have enough time to get their kids a spoon, right? (laughs) Dr. Pepper gum. Because, I mean, who has enough time to drink and chew gum at the same time, right? VCRs, books on tape. These things became very popular. ATM machines, not only dispensing cash, but also movie tickets and subway passes and stamps. Today, the trend has given us things like DoorDash, HelloFresh, Instacart, uh, same-day denture delivery, right? (laughs) I thought that commercial about buying a car at a vending machine was a joke until somebody on staff actually bought a car from a vending machine. (laughs) Why? Because we only have so much time. And we have uh, all these things that we want to do, and we want to do it all before we run out of time. But Jesus wasn't a big fan of multitasking or streamlining. In fact, I think he understood that it it would lead to exhaustion, emptiness, and enslavement. Three of the most common conditions of the modern life. 
exhaustion? Do you ever feel tired all the time? Like you just can't quite keep up the pace, like you are overloaded and worn out? Exhaustion? Emptiness? Do you ever feel empty? Do you ever find yourself saying, I give so much to others, to my family, to my job, I'm just out of gas. I'm running on empty. Or enslavement. Do you ever find yourself, it's almost as if you're living in some kind of loop, like every day is the same, like Groundhog Day. Everything just repeats and nothing changes. You're stuck. I hear that from many people about their work, about their relationships, about how they use their time. Exhaustion, emptiness, and enslavement. These are the evidence of a deeply spiritual struggle in our lives. A struggle to find meaning and to find balance and groundedness in our lives. And have you noticed how easy it is to spot it in other people but to not see it when it's happening to you? I think that's why we have this passage from the Gospel of Luke today that Reverend Jerry read. Because Luke gives us this chance to see firsthand what it looks like when we're caught in that endless cycle of exhaustion and, and emptiness and entrapment or enslavement. Uh, the story is about Jesus who stops by the home of Mary and Martha one evening for dinner. And Jesus in the story is this extraordinary guest in the home of what we might just call ordinary people, Martha and Mary. And Martha one of the sisters sees this as an opportunity to, to pull out the best china, to chill the best Chardonnay, to kick on all four burners and really go Martha Stewart on that night, right? Uh, there's, there's no stops here. She's, she's, she's going to create a meal that will be a labor of love. And so she cooks the meal she sets the table, she serves the meal, she cleans the kitchen afterwards, washes the dishes, and Mary, on the other hand, never leaves the table. She just sits at the feet of Jesus all night, hanging on his every teaching, oblivious to Martha's plight in the kitchen. Martha seems to be that overworked person, underappreciated, exhausted, uh, enslaved, empty, grumpy. Mary, on the other hand, appears to be this, this Christian Dalai Lama, right? So content and at peace in the moment, of course. And predictably, Martha finally snaps. Elbow deep in soap suds with this scowling look on her face of resentment, she says to Jesus, don't you care? Look what I'm doing. Make my sister help me. And can you see it in your mind's eye? Martha waving around her wooden spoon and her apron, standing in the doorway, um, looking at her sister who's just freeloading the whole time. And we say, as we read this story often, well, poor Martha, this is, you know, this is what happens when you take your eyes off of Jesus and you worry about the wrong things. But I want to say before we make a caricature out of the story of Martha and Mary, Remember that she's, Martha is just doing what any first century woman and Jew would do. She's feeding and entertaining her guests. She's providing hospitality. She's serving Jesus in the only way she really knows how. And by all the cultural expectations of their day, Mary 
is not. And yet, this is perplexing because Jesus says, oh Martha, you're, you're worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential and Mary has chosen it. And that's the whole punchline of the story, but like Mitch in City Slickers, we, we, we say, well, that's great, but what's the one thing? I think it's easy for us to say that Mary's choice to sit at the feet of Jesus all night was better than Martha's choice to work in the kitchen. Because, of course, given the choice, wouldn't we much prefer sitting than doing the dishes, right? So is Jesus saying that Martha's work, Martha's work in the kitchen wasn't important? That if only Martha were a little bit more like Mary, less busy, she'd be happier? Maybe. But I think the deeper truth is not what Mary and Martha choose to do. I think it's how they've chosen to do it. We all know there is a time to to go and do, and there is a time to stop and listen. There is a time to cause, and there is a time to pause. And it is a matter of deep spiritual discernment when we know the difference. If, if we were to ask Jesus, you know, who we're supposed to be in this story, Mary or Martha? I think Jesus would say, yes. Yes. Uh, Martha's problem is not that she's working too hard. Martha's problem is that in this particular moment, she doesn't know what her true work really is. Does that sound familiar to you. There are times in our lives when fulfilling the necessary roles that we play in this world and fulfilling the expectations, the realistic expectations that others put upon us in this world, there are times when we do these things and it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful act and symbol of faithfulness and love. Think about it. We are all Marthas in this world. The world wouldn't spin without Martha. Martha is the one who changes the diapers and repairs the air conditioner when the fuse blows and does the grocery shopping and makes sure the car is, the oil is changed every 3,000 miles. Martha makes the world go around. And her work really isn't glamorous. In fact, it's often overlooked and unnoticed. And yet, where would each of us be were it not for the Marthas in our lives? She is all around us. And we, every one of us, is Martha. For all of us, there are common tasks that must be completed in our lives, some of which give us meaning, many of which feel like drudgery, but all of which, when we do them, constitute acts of deep love and faithfulness. But in the midst of a busy life, we need to cultivate the spirit of Mary. We need to give permission to ourselves and to that inner desire to finally sit in stillness and in silence and to pause and hear the word of life and the whisper of grace without which 
our lives are meaningless, without which our work leads only to exhaustion and emptiness and enslavement. And maybe what both Curly and Jesus know about the secret of life is this. We can't be in two places at once. Mary's attention seems to be so undivided. She appears to be fully present in that moment. And Martha, on the other hand, seems torn. As if she's trying to be in two places at once and not present in either. The writer Bob Benson wrote about his custom of kissing his kids to bed every night. Uh, whether they were awake or asleep, he would go in their room and bend over and kiss them on the cheek and say goodnight. And one night he bent over and gave his son Patrick a kiss on the cheek and then he stood up to leave. It had been a long day. He was exhausted. But his son's question stopped him in his tracks that night. His son said, Dad, why do you kiss me so fast? It's a great question. Why do we often allow the most meaningful moments of our lives to go by so fast? Maybe it's because in searching for those 99 lives out there, we forget to live the one we're living right now. There's an old Radiohead song that goes, sometimes I get overcharged. That's when you see sparks. They ask me where the heck I'm going at a thousand feet per second. And the chorus says, hey man, slow down. Slow down. One of the myths of life and love in the modern world is that, as we say often, it's not quantity, it's quality. It's one of the proverbs of the 80s and 90s. It's also one of the biggest lies we can ever say. And we know it. Because it's, it's an excuse for not fully showing up to the world and to our relationships, to our families, to our spiritual lives, to the needs of the world. If we really believe that it's not about quantity but quality, then we wouldn't have any problem tomorrow morning walking into our boss's office and saying, um, I like the salary, but I'd like to work a few hours less and get the same pay because it's not about... We don't call that, uh, we don't call that quality time. We call that part-time, right? <laughs> Are we showing up to full-time work in our lives? The one thing that Jesus is trying to teach us, trying to teach Martha, is that life and love are comprised of two kinds of time. A time to work and make a difference in the world and a time to stop and reflect on whether all of our work is making a difference at all. The great pianist Arthur Schnabel, he once said, the notes I handle no better than many pianists, but the pauses between the notes, that is where the art resides. It's all music. The work, the rest, the quality and the quantity, it's all part of the beauty. 
Writer Kate, or, uh, Kate Daniels describes a typical evening in her home. Maybe you can identify. She and her husband, they come home from work. They're exhausted. The kids are trying to do their homework, but mostly are squabbling while uh, Kate prepares the meal. And, and then the dog overturns the kitchen garbage can and then runs away, leaving garbagey footprints all over the house. And, and at the end of the day, she says, each family member is, is tired and overstimulated, They're longing, seeking love and healing and nourishment, but all too often, weariness and frustration and irritation boil up to the surface. And she says, our family conversation becomes bitter and sharp rather than gentle and kind. And she says, try as I may, I have a hard time browning the ground turkey I'm planning to mix with the canned spaghetti sauce for the glory of God. But she adds, I I try to find the poetry that exists even here. It's all poetry. It's all music. It's all beauty. Only one thing is essential, says Jesus. It's to find beauty in the toil. To find beauty in the toil. Kathleen Norris wrote about the endless struggle of caring for her husband who was battling cancer. And she said there was a lot of just worry and drudgery, uh, just caring for him through all of his treatments. But she said she encountered peace and goodness and even joy in it all. Sometimes it was just nestling in front of the TV and laughing themselves silly watching reruns of Bugs Bunny cartoons. Sometimes it came through the goodness that they found in so many of the doctors and nurses who, in so many small ways, offered them kindness. Sometimes it was the joy that came from just remembering to be grateful for the sheer wonder of life, the beauty of creation, the miracle of her marriage, the love of family and friends. She writes this, My Christian religion is not about sweetness and light and unattainable holiness, It gets down to the nitty-gritty. The Jesus, she says, I encounter in scriptures is the same one I find in the daily newspaper and on the street and in my home, in my low and high moments, even in my place of drudgery. And when I recognize who it is that is with me in all the busyness of life, I do feel myself, my weak, weary, and withered self, to be every bit as rich as a queen. Our takeaways for today, you can never be in two places at once, ever. The music resides in the pauses between the notes. And only one thing is essential, and that's to find beauty in the toil. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.